Well, good morning, church. How are you today? It really is a true joy to be with you here today. If you're a guest, first time guest here with us, my name is Danny. I'm the lead pastor here, senior pastor here, and we have an incredible team here that's put together this experience for you. We hope uh, if this is your first time so far, you feel at home and that you feel welcome. Hopefully you got a cup of coffee, able to relax. I really believe that you're going to continue to be blessed here today. And uh, if you're a regular attender, I want to say welcome back. Miss you, love you. Hope, uh, hopefully you enjoyed last week. I also want to be... Uh, to welcome our, uh, our Franklin campus is watching live right now. Give it up for our Franklin campus. Love you guys. <clears throat> also watching live is our Banta campus. Let's give it up for our Banta campus. Love you guys. It's exciting to be with you here today as well. And also I want to welcome everyone else watching online, literally across the United States and also across the world. Can we give it up for our online audience? Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We have friends in Africa watching, we have friends in Colombia watching, we have friends in the UK watching, and we welcome all of you who are tuning in uh, today. We're in a series right now called Unshakable. We started it last week. We said, we asked this question, is it possible to stay strong when things go wrong? And if it's possible to do that, how do you stay strong when things go wrong? And they do go wrong in your life, right? Like life sometimes punches you in the gut and it makes you feel like you can't breathe and you can't go on. Sometimes it's a relationship that falls apart. Sometimes it's a financial setback, maybe some medical bills. Sometimes it's bad news about a, a diagnosis, a cancer or something like that comes in. Sometimes it's even as bad as losing a loved one. And life can just flat out be tough sometimes. How do you stay strong when things go wrong in our lives? Last week we said the first principle is to do the right thing. Do the right thing. We talked, if you missed last week, we talked about the common sense factor. <laughs> when it comes to doing the right thing, we talked about the God factor. We also talked about the obedience factor. If you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Just go back, watch the podcast. I promise, I think it'll, it'll, uh, it'll make sense to you. But one of the greatest examples in the Bible of someone that uh, basically was hit by, by a gigantic punch in the gut was Job. Anybody ever read the book of Job? Powerful, powerful illustration of how sometimes life can really just go badly. In one day, listen to this, in one 24-hour period, Job lost all of his cattle, all of his oxen, all of his sheep, all of his goats, his seven sons, all seven sons perished, and his three daughters all perished in one single day. Now, no one in this room has had a, a day like that. I'm sure we've had some bad days, but no one has had a bad day quite like that. Do you agree, yes or no? His friend Elihaz, Elihaz in chapter five is speaking to him and he's trying to offer him some encouragement. This is what Eliphaz says in chapter five, verse seven. People are born for, say with me, trouble. <laughs> as sure as sparks fly up from a fire, people are born for trouble. That's not very encouraging, is it? He's just kind of telling Job what's going on. Like, this is the way it goes. It'd be like me and you financially. See, back in those days, you know, you'd measure someone's financial success by how many goats and sheep and camels and cattle that they had. That was the financial income. It'd be like me and you in one day losing everything in our 401k. If we have real estate, all of our real estate's gone. All of our savings is gone. All of our checking is gone in one single day. And all of our kids die. Not a very good day, is it? That's Job's day, right? Totally punched in the gut. It happens. It happens sometimes. 
And so last week, like I said, we looked at this first principle of doing the right thing. Today I want to dive in, just talk about the second principle. It's very simple. If we're going to live an unshakable life, we have to entrust our lives to God. You must entrust your life to God. I wanted to talk about trusting God with your life, and I've said that before, and it's absolutely true that we need to trust God with our lives. In fact, many of you could quote Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 with me. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, right? And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your paths smooth and straight. We can, we can quote that verse and that's certainly true. We need to trust God with our life. But I wanted to use a different word today. I wanted to use a word that I think goes further than trust and that is entrust. What does it mean to entrust something to somebody? It means to put something into someone's care or protection. And you've done this before. I'll give you a few examples. Some of you have gone on vacation before, or you've had to leave town for one reason or another, and you had to entrust your dog or your cats to somebody else, right? You had to, you had to give them over to somebody to care for and protect them. A couple of years ago, my wife and I went away, and we had to entrust our, our dog to the, uh, the pet hotel. What do they call that? What's that? I don't know. I forget the name of it. Anyway. We brought our little schnauzer over to the, we have a little mini schnauzer. He's got this brain size of a walnut, you know what I'm talking maybe, <laughs> maybe even a peanut, I'm not sure. The reason I say that is because he barks at the same people every single day, right? It's like, you've seen that guy 17 times. Why do you still bark? Anyway, small brains. So we take him over. We love him though. We take him over to the pet hotel and we get him back after about seven days. They're taking care of him and they're protecting him and feeding him, taking him for walks, I think. <laughs> we don't really know what goes on there, but we get him back after seven days. Kid you not, kid you not. We get, him after, uh, we get him back after seven days, and what does he do? He goes right into our bedroom, the master bedroom, and he pees on the, on the bed. <laughs> We're thinking, well, maybe his brain is not as small as a peanut. Maybe. Anyway, uh, that was an interesting story. Some of you have had to, you know, you're raising teenagers and now they're 16 and you've had to entrust the steering wheel to them. It's frightening. Yes? Anyone? It's absolutely frightening. So, so I don't do it. See, it's, my wife does it. It's like, hey, you want to take, a, you know, our 16-year-old for a drive? No. You can. I don't want to put my life in his hands. Are you kidding? <laughs> to entrust... You know, you know, the groom or the bride, they put the, 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 the ring in the hands of the best man. <laughs> That's some ring, isn't it? <laughs> and, 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 you know, during the wedding, it's like, you know, okay, do you have the ring? And it's like, and the groom and the, you know, the best man's like, oh, I don't know where I put it. <laughs> so funny. It's like, we've seen that joke a thousand times. It's not funny. Shut up. Maybe, maybe you've entrusted, you know, some secrets, some information to somebody, oh, pss, 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 you know, and you've given that information over their care and protection, and, and, and for some of you, that's come back to bite you, right? Hmm, entrust. What does it mean to entrust? Some of you have entrusted your heart to somebody only to have it broken. You got engaged, you were going to get married, you, you gave, gave your heart over. Care, would, you, would you care for this and protect it? And for some of us, it's worked out, right? But, but, but to, to entrust means to give something over to somebody, to, to take care of and to protect. And then we've probably all done this at some level. We've given some cash 
over to somebody else, maybe a financial investor. Man, I don't really understand the stock market. I don't really understand how to invest. So I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my money, and you can uh, invest it you know, and take a portion of it for yourself, right? That's all it means to entrust. It just means to, to, give, to give something to somebody to care for and protect it. And when you open the New Testament, here's what's interesting. When you open the New Testament, that is the offer of Christianity. Christianity is not about joining a church. It's not about joining a religion. It's about taking your life and placing it in God's hands, hoping that and trusting that he will take care of you. And Jesus says, if you do that, you will have an unshakable life. Last week, I shared a verse with you in John 16, if you were here. Jesus said this, in this world or in this life, you're going to have many, say with me, trials and sorrows. Unavoidable. Now, thankfully, life is not a continual stream or flow of trials and sorrows. Some of you are like, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not really. There are times where we're not always in pain. Thankful for that, but there are times when we're in pain and there are trials and sorrows. I didn't show you the second half of the verse for a purpose. I wanted to save it for today. Listen to what Jesus says next. However, or but, I want you to take heart. Now this word here, these two words here, interesting Greek roots here. What the, what the phrase actually means is to be of good courage. In fact, some of your Bible translations, you will see that. Take courage, or the old King James Version says, be of good cheer. It means to have an inner boldness, which is an interesting phrase. How am I supposed to have an inner boldness? How am I supposed to have confidence? How am I supposed to be of good courage? How am I supposed to take heart when I have all sorts of trials and sorrows in my life. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how can I do that? Jesus explains. He says, here's how you can do it. Here's why you can take heart. Watch this. Because I have, say it with me, overcome the world. So important we understand what this means. The word overcome means to be victorious. It means to, to win. It means to conquer. It means to prevail over your opposition. Jesus says, here's, what I, here's why you can take heart. Because I have won. I have defeated the world. What is the world? The world is sin. The world is evil. The world is, is, is not that the whole world is evil, but there's evil in the world. I've overcome the devil. I've overcome pain, I've overcome suffering, I've overcome all that you see that is broken in the world and in your heart. Whoa, that's the reason that I can be of good courage. That's the reason that I can take heart. Jesus isn't promising to take away the trials and the sorrows. He's just saying, as you're going through all this stuff, I want you to be of good courage because in the end, I win. That is the offer of the New Testament. That is the offer of Jesus Christ. The other day, I was at LA Fitness, and it was a Saturday. And around 11 o'clock on Saturday, all the good players start showing up like the serious players, the serious ballers. You know, they don't even wear their game shoes into the gym. They bring them in a bag. That's how you know they're serious. <laughs> these guys can shoot. These guys can dunk. These guys are in their 20s, right? And I like to show up every now and then because my brain is still telling me I'm like 20, but I'm 40. So I still think that I can play with these guys. So I go in there around that time and then, you know, I'm trying to you know, get a feel for, you know, what's going on. And somehow or another, I get picked to be a captain. I think I just decided to be the captain. <laughs> and if you're the captain and there's 15 guys in the gym, you get to pick your team. And this other guy who's the captain, like I recognize that he doesn't really know what's going on. And so I give him the first pick and he doesn't pick very wisely. So I capitalize upon that and I'm like, well, I got him. And then he picks poorly again. And I'm like, well, I got him. 
Another unwise choice, another wise choice, another unwise choice, another wise choice. Before we know it, we've got the five best players. I've got the five best players on my team. Okay, this is going to be a great day. <laughs> Let's be honest, this is going to be a great 45 minutes, okay, because that's all I can play, right? So, so I'm like, this is awesome. So we check it up, but we won four or five games in a row. We destroyed the opposition. It was so much fun. <laughs> I was on the winning team. In the New Testament, you know what the, the offer is really? This is Jesus' offer. He says, you're invited to be on the winning team. That's all he's, that's all he's saying. In 16, 1633, he's saying, I am inviting you onto the winning team. Jesus would say this all different kinds of way in the New Testament. He'd say things like, here's the deal. I'm the bread of life. If you come to me and you eat, You'll never be hungry again. One time he referred to himself as the living water. He said, if whoever drinks this water will we'll never thirst again. One time he called himself the door. Another time he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another time he said, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're weary, come to me, take my yoke upon you and you'll find rest for your souls. He would say it in all different kinds of ways, but what he meant was each time, join the winning team. And that's when you can take heart. That's why you can take heart, because I have overcome the world. He's even overcome death. John chapter 11, when Lazarus died, remember? If you know the story, Jesus said this to the crowd. He said, whoever trusts in me, whoever believes in me will never taste death, at least not in the way the world understands death, because there really is no death for a Christ follower. It's just graduation day. You understand what I'm talking about? It's just moving on to real life when we leave this earth. One of my favorite places in the Bible that he gives this invitation is Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Listen to this. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This verse has been misinterpreted. This verse has been misunderstood. It's been taught the wrong way. Let me give you the true understanding of what Jesus is saying here. The word repent means to change your mind. It means to turn around. It means to do a 180. It's all it means. Change the way you're thinking. So Jesus is saying, I want you to change the way you're thinking, change the direction of your life. In what sense? In the sense that you've been going down the wrong path. But what path is that? The path of declaring yourself to be the boss of your life. That's the path. The, the path that says, I'm the king of my life or the queen of my life. The path that says, I will call the shots. The path that says, as Frank, Frank Sinatra sang, I did it my way. That path. He says, I want you to turn from, from being the boss of your life, being the leader of your life, and I want you to enter into something else. I want, to, I want you to enter into, say it with me, my kingdom. Now, the reason this verse has been taught incorrectly is because the kingdom is thought to be the, the next life. Well, after we die, that's the kingdom of God, you know, that goes on for, you know, a thousand years and then forever after that, the kingdom, the future kingdom. No, 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 Jesus says the kingdom is something that is available right now, and that's what he means by at hand. In other words, it's right there. It's within your reach. My phone is at hand because I can get it with my hand. See that? See how that works? Jesus says right now the kingdom is at hand. You can reach out and you can grab it. It's available to every single one of you. What is that kingdom? Well, it's this, this realm where God is in charge. 
That's what the kingdom of God is. It's this place where God's will is done as he wishes it to be done. It's this place where God is doing things and he's acting and he has, he has priorities and he has objectives that he's trying to accomplish. That's the kingdom of God. And it's right here and it's right now and you and I can live in it. So Jesus is basically saying, turn away from being on the losing team, team I, team Danny, okay? Insert your name. Repent of that team from living on that team and, st- and step into or onto my team. And that's real life where I'm the king and I'm in charge and you fall under me. And when you step into that kingdom or when you step onto that team, what you will find is life on the rock. What you will find is a sturdy, steady, unshakable life. When Jesus says, take heart, be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. He's saying, my team has won the day. That's the invitation of Christianity. Some of you never heard it that way before. You thought it was about going to heaven when you die. And by the way, it is. <laughs> it is. I would rather go there than the other place. Amen. Anybody else? Right? But what about right now? Christianity cannot be reduced to go to heaven when you die. It is about living with God right now in this moment, the kingdom of God at hand. And when we do that, that leads to an unshakable life. In Matthew chapter 6, one of my favorite passages on this issue, especially verses 24 to 34, 25 to 34, in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing fear, worry, and anxiety. Not because of trials and tribulations as he did in John 16, 33. He's addressing fear, worry, and anxiety because of the concerns of this life. The issues are food and money and shelter and, and all the stuff that we see. People are worried about their provisions for this life. Now, in our cultures today, mostly around, in most places around the world, we're not concerned about what we're going to eat uh, in about an hour. We're not concern, concerned about what shirt we're going to wear in about an hour. We're not concerned about what shoes we're going to have in about an hour. So, but, but what we are concerned about is what about 10 years from now? What about 20 years from now? Am I going to have enough to retire? Like, am I going to be able to do this? And what about my 403? And, and what about my 401? And we're worried about the future. Same issues, same issues, just, just different, different time frames. So it applies to us. Jesus is speaking about the things of this life and how they cause us to fear, have fear and worry. Some of us want to be married. Some of us want to have children. Some of us are concerned because we're sick. We have a physical ailment. All of those things cause us fear, worry, and anxiety. Listen to what Jesus says the answer is to those things in verse 33. Here's what I want you to do. In order to overcome fear, worry, and desire, I want you to seek first the, say it with me, the kingdom. This word seek means to look everywhere. Like when you lose your keys, right? <laughs> or when you lose your purse, or when you lose your wallet, you seek everywhere for it. Now, today we have these little things on our phones called, you know, uh, tile. You have the tile? Anybody have the tile? Oh, it's such a wonderful thing. You hit the button and it locates your keys for you. It's changed my life. <laughs> thank, you, my, thank you to my wife for that. To look everywhere for the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's the place where God is doing things. It's the place where God dwells. It's, it's the place where God rules, right? Here's what I want. Here, basically what Jesus is saying here is make it your top priority to find out where I'm doing things and join me in those priorities. That's what this verse means. And when you do that, when you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, here's my end of the deal. It's like an if-then equation. It's like a promise he gives us. If you do this, then what am I going to do? I am going to take all of these things and, say it with me, add it to your life. 
I promise you, you don't have to worry about him. I promise you, you don't have to fear. I promise you, you don't have to have anxiety. I know that you want those things and I know that you need those things. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to make it the focus of your life. Listen to what he says in verse 32. These things, the concerns of this life, they dominate the thoughts of who? People who don't have faith in Jesus, people who don't know God as the good shepherd, people who don't have him as their heavenly father. But it's different with you. Because you've trusted Christ with your life, because you have faith in him, here's here's the deal with your situation. You don't have to have your thoughts dominated by the things of this world. Instead, watch this, your heavenly father already knows you have need. What is he implying here? He's implying that you ought to be able to trust in the fact that you have a perfect, loving, heavenly father who will add those things to your life because he knows you need them. Now, I resonate with this because I'm a dad. I've got three kids. My wife is here. She's, we, we, we have three kids. <laughs> she bore all three of them. I resonate with this because what we want to do as parents is we want to make sure our kids have what they need. Yes? Any parents out there? And I'm sure as grandparents, we want to give them everything they need and everything that they want. Which, grandparents, that's not right. <laughs> Chill out. Okay, anyway. But everything they need for sure. Like what do they need? Safety and security. And they need, they need to make sure they have food and, 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 and a proper education. And so what, what do I, my wife and I do and what do you parents do? We work to, to create those environments to give our children everything they need. And, and guess what? On top of all that, we're sinners. And we still do that. Like, well, like I'm a broken person. My wife is a broken person. And we still do that. And we have a you And I have a perfect, sinless, heavenly father who knows what we have need of. And Jesus is saying, would you take your life and would you put it in his hands? And if you should do that, here's the end result. Entrusting your life to God will remove or banish all fear, all worry, and all anxiety. And that's what Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34 is all about. Living a different quality of life. A life absent of fear, worry, and anxiety. And that is only possible when we take our lives and we entrust it to God. He is your heavenly Father. This is what Psalm 27 verse 1 is all about. Listen to, listen to what David said. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He delivers me out of trouble He doesn't just take me to heaven when I die, but this word means to deliver out of trouble. If that's true, which it is, rhetorical question, who am I going to be afraid of? What's the answer? Come on, what's the answer? Come on, what's the answer? No one. It's a rhetorical question. Like if God, if my life is in his hands and he delivers me out of trouble, I have zero fear. And he continues, the Lord is my stronghold. This word stronghold is fortress or strong place or picture a city with walls around it. You can't penetrate. The enemy cannot get in. God is my stronghold. If that's true, then rhetorical question, of whom shall I be afraid? Answer, come on, answer. No one, nothing, no situation, no person. I have no fear. Even if you take my life, I have no fear. This is Psalm 62, verse 2. 
He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly, say it with me, shaken. That's our series, folks. Unshakable. Where did it come from? It comes right out of the scriptures. There you can live the type of life that is unshakable if I take my life and I put it in the hands of the rock, of the, of the fortress, of the stronghold, of, the, of the, the one who delivers me, my salvation. All fear all worry, all anxiety is banished. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to be around eight years old, I, I, I developed a little bit of a fear of, 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 of getting in the car because I witnessed a car accident. And up to that point in my life, I thought it was safe to get in the car. And then every time I started getting in the car, I was like, whoa, whoa, what if we crash? But as time went on, I began to, t- to teach my mind to focus on my dad. My dad had, had, had taught me, you know, uh, to drive. And not, not that he taught me to drive necessarily, but he, when I was small, he would put me on his lap and he would drive. And I would drive, not really, but he would, right? And then he would show me all these tricks and he would drive with his knees. He would drive with no hands. Anybody ever do that? And I would go, oh my gosh, my dad is the most excellent driver in the world. My dad can drive better than your dad and better than your dad and better than your dad. And my dad was the greatest driver. He can drive with no hands. And I would tell myself that. And when I would tell myself that, guess what would happen to the fear? Guess what would happen to the worry? Guess what would happen to the anxiety? It was banished. Why? Because my eyes and my heart were focused on who? My father who was fully capable of driving incredibly well. This is the Bible. The Lord is my salvation. I shall not fear. He's my rock. He's my, he's my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. This was, this was Joseph's life. Do you remember the story of Joseph? He gets betrayed by his brothers, right? Sold into slavery. He gets falsely accused of rape, ends up spending two years in prison, gets forgotten about in prison. How does he maintain a positive attitude? How does he maintain his faith? Well, he put his life in God's hands. How do we know that? Because when the story comes to an end and, and, and his father dies and his, and his brothers think that jo- Joseph is going to seek retribution and revenge, Joseph reveals his hand. In chapter 50, verse 20, listen to what he says. You intended to harm me, guys, but God intended it for, say it with me, for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph had these dreams and God showed him his plan. And Joseph said, God, I'm going to put my, hand, my life in your hands and I'm going to trust you. And so in the midst of many trials, in the midst of betrayals, in the midst of false accusations, Joseph stayed strong. This is the great truth behind Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 has become cliche, unfortunately. It is not cliche. It is wonderfully true. In Romans 8.28, we read this, and we know that God causes, what? Everything to work together for the good of those who are Listen, of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What does that mean? (laughs) It simply means this, that when you have confidence in God's full intention, in the midst of evil, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials and difficulty, when you trust in his full intention to bring about your good, (laughs) you can live an unshakable life. I heard Dallas Willard say one time, he said, irredeemable harm does not touch a person 
who willingly lives in the hand of God. Let me say that again because it's changed my life. Irredeemable harm does not touch a person who willingly lives in the hand of God. When I take my life, when you take your life and you put it in God's hands, he will take everything, evil and good, and work it together for your good. And he'll bring something beautiful from it. Powerful, powerful idea. Life-changing idea. Let me close with a story from from Matthew chapter 8. It's one of my favorite stories. (laughs) Jesus is on the boat with his disciples and they're on the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee was notorious for, for these storms which just come out of nowhere. And sure enough, Jesus, it must have been a Sunday afternoon because Jesus was taking a nap. We know all really spiritual people nap on Sunday. <laughs> so Jesus is taking a nap. Storm comes up, right? Waves start coming into the boat. The disciples, they get so flustered, they, get, they start to freak out that, that they go and they, w- and they wake them up and they say, Jesus, we're gonna die. Come on, the waves are coming in. In fact, in Mark, it actually says that they accuse him they, and they say to him, don't you care about us? Matthew leaves that part out. Jesus wakes up and he has an interesting statement for them. He says, oh, you of little, wow, you know the story. Oh, you of little, how does he know they have little faith? (laughs) It's very simple. Their facial expressions, their tone of voice, their body language. Oh, Jesus, we're going to die, you know. You know, a good way to measure your faith is to watch the tone of your voice and watch your body language. Pay attention to the tension in your neck and in your shoulders, right? That will reveal where your faith is at when you come into trials and difficulties. So Jesus rebukes the guys. He says, where's your faith? Come on, guys. By this time, your faith should be stronger. Then he steps up and he rebukes what? The winds and the waves. And he talks to them. He talks to the elements. He talks to the water. He talks to the wind. And the water and the waves calm down. The Bible says there's a peace that comes upon the sea. And then the disciples look at each other. Listen to what they say. It's incredible. They look at each other in amazement. They go, who is this man? Who is this guy? That even even the wind and the waves obey him. See, they had miscalculated. They had misunderstood who he was. And because they misunderstood who he was, their faith was undeveloped. They freaked out over the trial that had just come into their life. What if they would have known who he was? What if they would have known that he was the all-powerful, all-wise, all-self-sufficient, all-loving, all-merciful creator and sustainer of everything we see? What if they would have known who was in the boat? What would, what would that conversation have looked like? Maybe, maybe, I'm going to take a little liberty here. Maybe the conversation would have went down like this. Work with me here a little bit. Peter says to John, man, this storm's getting pretty bad. <laughs> well, now, how does Jesus sleep through stuff like this? Probably has a lot of peace in his heart. Wow, you see the boat starting to fill up with water? It's getting pretty rocky. You think we should wake him up? Nah, let's wait and see what happens. <laughs> I think it's getting worse. Here's an idea. Why don't we wait until the boat's actually sinking? You know, why don't we wait until Bart and the rest of the guys are like out there drowning? You know, they kind of just start floating away from the boat, like in Titanic, all the people are out there in the water. Let's wait until the whole thing is about to just go down and then let's wake him up and see what he does. (laughs) 
Maybe that's how the conversation goes down. Had they known who was in the boat? Because if Jesus would have woken up at that point, what would he have done? Right? He'd have, he'd have done like, you know, remember, remember from Star Wars what Yoda does with, with, with Luke's? No? You don't remember? <laughs> remember that scene? The thing comes out of the water. He would have done something like that had they known who he was. See, in your notes there, here's what you and I have to do. You know, you know we must know who he is. We got, we got to know who he is. We got to know that he is the, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, self-sustaining creator and sustainer of the universe. We got to know who he is because if we know who he is, we will run to him. And we will put our lives in his hands. Let me say that again because it's so important that you walk out with us. If we know who he is, we will run to him. And we will entrust our lives to him. That he is our heavenly father. That he has overcome the world. That he can speak to the winds and the waves and they obey him. Isn't it strange sometimes that we have enough faith in Jesus to take us to heaven when we die, but we don't have enough faith to trust him to calm the storms in our lives. Does that seem odd to anybody but, but me? I think that's the reason, I think the reason behind that is because we don't really know who we're dealing with. We've miscalculated, we've not understood. We say we believe that he is all these things, but our lives prove something very different. You with me? So here's my closing question today. I'd love to leave you with a question. Do you know who he is? I didn't leave you with a challenge to say go and trust your life to him because that will happen if you know who he is by default. If you know that he is your heavenly father, that he is the good shepherd. Think of Psalm 23 with me. I know some of you have it memorized. The Lord is my shepherd. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, right? What does that mean? The shepherd protects the sheep, provides for the sheep, comforts the sheep, keeps the wolves away from the sheep, makes sure the sheep have their food. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, why? Because you are with me. Because my life is in your hand. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They protect me. Psalm 23, you know what Psalm 23 is all about? It's about somebody taking their life and putting it into the hands of God, the shepherd. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Internalize it. And then live it. And watch fear and worry and anxiety be banished from your life. This isn't a sermon, guys. I'm not giving you a talk right now. I'm describing the offer of abundant life and eternal life that is available to you for the rest of your life until you graduate to the next one. That's what I'm talking about. And I want in. How about you? I want every bit of it. I don't want to leave 10% out. I want 100% of what Jesus has to offer me on this, on this side of heaven. There's some of you here today, you, 
You don't even know that he loves you. Like I asked the question, do you know who he is? Do you know that he is love? He just doesn't have love, but that God is love and he proved it by sending his one and only son into this world to die on a cross for you. Do you know that? Do you know that he didn't just do that for 7 billion people in general, but he did it specifically for you? Like if you were the only one, he would have died for you. Like Jesus would have been crucified for you. He would have risen from the dead for you so he can be in a relationship for you. Yes, is that for 7 billion people? Absolutely. But it's for you as an individual so that you could become a son or a daughter of God. Do you know who he is? Do you know he loves you? Do you know that he's done every single thing he could do to be in a relationship with you? When Christ died in the sins, when Christ died in the cross, he died for your sins. Your sin was what separated you from God. And when you place your trust in Christ, your sins are washed away. The barrier is removed and you can be in a relationship with your heavenly father. Some of you need to make that decision today. Some of you need to put your trust in Christ today. I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer. For some of you, this is the first time that you really comprehended that God is love and he wants to be in a relationship with you. I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. Reach out to him in faith and trust him today and join the winning team. He's the victor. He's the conqueror. He has prevailed over sin and death in the world. Trust him today. Pray with me. Take these words and make them your own. In the quietness of your heart, speak to him now. He's listening. Say this. Jesus, I trust you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you spread out your arms and they were pierced. Your hands were pierced. Your feet were pierced. You were crucified to take away my sin. And so right now I ask you with what little faith I have to wash away all my sin, to cleanse me, to make me as white as snow. Make me your child today. I place my life in your hands. And from this day forward, help me to love you and follow you and obey you and honor you with my life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, our church would love to celebrate with you, wouldn't we, guys? If you prayed it online, we celebrate with you. Whether you're at Greenwood, Banta, Franklin, or you're watching online, if you pray to receive Christ today, we want to put a new co- a copy of the New Testament in your hands. If you did that online, there's a little button there that says, I accepted Christ. Click that, fill out your address. We'll send one to you in the mail. If you did it at one of our physical sites right now, there's, there's uh, tables in the back where you can go pick up a one year New Testament. The reason we put these out there, the reason we give these to you as your gift, it's very simple. It's very simple. Jesus said that, he said it. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. We want you to have his words. Jesus said one time, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? We want you to have the truth. We want you to have his words. So go back there and ask for the one year New Testament if you pray to receive Christ. If you didn't do that, hey, listen, that's great. We love you. We're glad you're here. You might still have questions. You might be agnostic. You might even still be an atheist. Listen, we have an environment for you called Starting Point. 
It's a place where you can go, a safe place where you can go to discuss your questions, discuss your doubts about the Bible, about Jesus, about God, about heaven, about hell, whatever it is. It's called Starting Point. Please talk to our teams about that environment. We'd love to have you in one of those small groups. One more time, church. Can we give God a hand for what he's doing? Amen. Come on, nice and loud. I'm going to invite you right now to close out our service. Would you stand to our feet? Here's the deal. We got a song called Oceans. I want you to sing. I want you to worship. I want you to reach out in faith. I want you to, during this song, I want you to take your life and put it in God's hands. And then our team's going to come back up and close us. Take me
give it up for God today? Yes. That's why we're here. We're at this place. Man, what an amazing sermon, man. I hope that we walk away and we remember that we need to entrust all of our lives to God when we leave this place today, that he will protect, that he will keep us safe. And what an amazing message again. And we are super, super excited that you are here this morning with us. Well, we wanted to give an announcement for you. And that's first, uh, if you remember a couple months ago, we challenged you uh, to be generous and give some money so that we could help people locally and globally with some food. And you guys did that. You raised over $40,000. That's awesome, right? Forty. That's great. That was... And that's 100,000 meals right there. So that was phase one, but now phase two is coming up, which is if you would like to pack those boxes uh, that will go locally and globally, you can do that. March 18th is the date, but you need to register for a time slot. Okay, there's time slots for people to help with that. And so you can do that by going to myeclife.org to registering for a spot if you would like to help pack those boxes. Thanks again for being with us. Will you join with me as we pray about entrusting our lives to God? Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the message where we pray that it resonates with our hearts and our minds and our spirits, God, as we leave this place that we will entrust our lives no matter what's happening. Lord, I know there's some people right now who are maybe struggling. There's pain, there's sorrow, there's trials, but God, you are there. And there's some people in here who life's going great. There's blessings. And Lord, in the end, we all need to entrust our lives, give it over to you because you are our shepherd and we need you. So Father, as we leave this place, let us give you our lives, not just in this moment, but during our week, so that we can give you the praise and glory forever. Thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us the courage and the strength to give you everything. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you next week. And bring a friend.